ahead and um, raise your hand if you need a Bible. We are going to be passing out Bibles this morning. We're going to be reading from the Word of God. Why don't you open to 2 Samuel 11 real quick, and then we'll get started this morning. Perfect. Yeah, go ahead and raise your hand if you need a Bible. So we are in the middle. Does anyone know what series we're going through? David, you guys are amazing. Oh, it's up there too. (laughs) Yes, so we're going through the David series this morning, continuing on. Um, Before Easter, how many of you had a wonderful Easter? How many of you ate ham? Who eats ham on Easter? A few of us. Cool. Does anyone eat lamb? No? Oh, sweet. One in the back. (laughs) Very nice. Okay. Rabbit. Oh, like the Easter bunny. That's really sad. Okay, this is going really great. Okay, so we have one person that ate the Easter bunny. That's really nice. So 2 Samuel 11, my friends. Can everyone nudge their neighbor and go, shh? Not a long shush, just a shh. Perfect. Wonderful. So yeah, we are continuing on in the David series right now. And last time, before Easter, if you can think way, way back, a couple weeks ago, I actually spoke um, just about David and how... For the first time in his life, God told him no. David wanted to build God a house, but God told him no. You're not supposed to do that. So now we actually get to pick up, continuing on in the story, in a really very significant part of David's life. We today are talking about the turn in David's life that led to consequences. So this morning we're talking about a pretty intense story. It's pretty sobering. Um, But hopefully we can take it and apply it to our lives in a way that is more fun and um, just really life-giving for all of us. So um, we're just picking up in 2 Samuel 11 with David and Bathsheba. Now, how many of you have heard of this story before? David and Bathsheba. Yeah, so maybe a few of us. But if you haven't heard of it, we are going to be focusing on this this morning. Um, and so we're, the theme of this morning is we're talking about living life God's way. We're talking about living life in God's plan and God's design for us. And that applies to every aspect of life. And specifically this morning, we're going to be talking about how God's way applies to our sexuality. We're going to be talking about our choices and their consequences. But we're going to be talking about, hopefully the point of this is talking about how God's way and God's design for our sexuality is the best way. He knows what he's talking about. He knows what he's doing. So that's what we're going to be talking about this morning. And guys, David was not a perfect dude. David made huge mistakes, as we're going to talk about today. David committed adultery. David killed a man, actually a few. And David was called a man after God's own heart. Do you feel the tension in that? Do you feel the like... Wait, what? David was called a man after God's own heart, despite everything that he did. And that is because of God's redemption. God is a God that redeems us right where we're at. He doesn't ask for our perfection, but he wants us to follow him and be honest with him. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Let's just pray real quick before we dive into the scriptures. Jesus, we are grateful today to be here. We're so, so grateful that you are a God of redemption, that you are a God that has the last word in our stories and our lives. We thank you that we get to look to you and turn to you. 
and be part of your better way of life. So we pray this morning for open ears and open hearts as we get into your word. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so let's read through 2 Samuel 11. We're going to read the whole thing, and it's going to be crazy. So if I could get that up on the screen, that would be delightful. Perfect. Here we go. In the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. So David was not where he was supposed to be. David was supposed to be out at war, leading the troops as king. That was his role. But guess what he was doing? He was laying in bed taking a nap. So he was not where he was supposed to be at the right time. Okay, let's move on to the next verses. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, which is funny because she is taking a bath. Get it, Bathsheba. I wonder if that's intentional. I don't know. Um, (laughs) The daughter of Elam and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. So stop right there. That is actually a really significant verse because... This messenger is trying to tell David, okay, look, David, this is not just a random woman. This is someone's daughter. This is someone's wife. She is someone. She's not yours. But as king, he doesn't have people that are like, hey, stop, don't do that. He can do whatever he wants as king because God's given him that power and that authority. So we're going to keep moving on. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. Now she was purifying herself from her monthly uncleanliness, which means that because she was unclean, David was also then made unclean. Let's go to the next slide. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. That When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. So basically, David sleeps with this woman, Bathsheba. Then he sends her away. She probably has to wait for at least a month to find out she's pregnant. So she's just hanging out. Her husband's at war. Then they find out that she's pregnant. David sends to bring her husband home from war, and next, he tries to cover up his sin. Let's move on. Then David said to Uriah, go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace with all his master's servants and did not go down to his own house. David was trying to cover up his sin. He was trying to get Uriah to sleep with his wife, so that way they would think the baby was his, not David's. So David is not only committed adultery, but now he's trying to cover it up. Let's move on. David was told Uriah did not go home. So he asked Uriah, haven't you just come from a military campaign? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark and Israel and Judah are staying in tents, and my commander Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open country. Next slide. How could I go to my house to eat and drink and make love to my wife? As surely as you live, I will not do such a thing. So Uriah is this man of honor. He's saying, the men are camped out in the wilderness. They're fighting people. They're doing what they need to do. I am not going to be dishonorable and come home and take all the pleasures that I want. I am going to like be 
in camaraderie with my fellow people. Does that make sense? That's the heart that David was supposed to have. So we see Uriah is this honorable man. But David said to him, stay here one more day and tomorrow I will send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him and David made him drunk. So David couldn't get him to go sleep with his wife. So he's like, fine, I'll just make him drunk and then he'll go sleep with his wife. So it's literally, can you feel it getting like from bad to worse really quick? Yeah. Okay, next. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on that, his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. In the morning, David set, wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, put Uriah out on the front where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw him so he will be struck down and die. So David is going downhill real quick, as you can see. This is crazy to me because not only did he sleep with this guy's wife and try to cover it up, but then he sends this guy's death sentence with him. He, like, carries his own death sentence, and he doesn't even know it. So this is, this is a really bad situation. Let's move on to the next slide. While Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a, at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men of David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Joab sent David a full account of the battle. So not only did Uriah the Hittite die, but other soldiers died too. So David's sin went from sleeping with someone's wife to lying to try to cover it up to killing a bunch of his own men that he was supposed to be defending. He instructed the messenger, when you have finished giving the king of this, this account of the battle, the king's anger may flare up and he may ask you, why did you get so close to the city to fight? Didn't you know they would shoot arrows from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, son of Jerob, Beth, Bethith, Bethsheth? I don't know. Okay, move on. <laughs> Didn't a woman drop an upper millstone on him from the wall? That's a bummer. So that he died in Thibbez. Why did you get so close to the wall? If he asked you this, then say to him, Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. The messenger sent out, and when he arrived, he told David everything Joab had sent him to say. Let's move on. Then the messenger said to David, The men overpowered us and came out against us in the open, but we drove them back to the entrance of the city gate. Then the archers shot arrows at your servants from the wall, and some of the, your king's men died. Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. David told the messenger, Say this to Joab. Don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as another. Press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. Do you see his heart in this? It is amazing to me. He has gone quick downhill. He says, don't let this upset you. People, some people just died. It's okay. It's like startling to me. And this is the severity of the story. This is, um, this is not in Sunday school, right? This is not a Sunday school story. Um, but yeah, we're going to keep moving on. So Bathsheba mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David did had, dis the thing David had done displeased the Lord. So then the next chapter begins... Nathan the prophet comes to confront David. It's pretty crazy. Nathan's job is to like speak the words, the Lord's words to David. 
and he calls David out. And so David finally repents, and he owns up to it. But what happens is the, the child of David and Bathsheba, she gives birth, and the child actually dies. So David's sin has consequences. So this morning, we're going to just talk about a few things to begin with. Um, and we're going to focus on the first half just about what it means to have a lustful heart. Because we see this on display in David's story. And we see that a lustful heart unaddressed leads us into isolation, shame, and consequences. So my working definition of what lust is, is lust is wanting more than what God has given you in this season. So like David, David had been given so much, you guys. David had money, he had power, he had fame, he had wealth, he had so many wives, he had anything at his feet. But David took what God had not given him. And this is what a lustful heart is. It's taking something from someone that is not ours to take. And that can be applied to sexuality, but it can also be applied to other things in our life, like relationships or like um, achievements or anything like that, where God has not given you something, but you're just wanting it no matter what and no matter what the consequences are to other people. And we also see that David was driven in isolation, David chose isolation, and he was not living out his calling as a man of God, as a warrior king that he was supposed to be. But he chose to be isolated away from his friends, away from the mighty men, away from the people that, who were, that were supposed to be calling him out and addressing things in his life. But he didn't have that. Have you guys ever had a friend in your life that, like, called you out? Has anyone here had that? Yeah. It is a, not a fun feeling, <laughs> but... There's nothing better than having somebody say something to you that is true and life-giving. And it's, um, there's a scripture that says that the wounds from a friend can be trusted. And we need those kinds of people in our lives. People that can say, like David, why are you asking about who Bathsheba is? Don't do that. You're going down a wrong path. She's someone's wife. Like We need people like that in our lives to say that to us. And we also see that David was stuck in shame. He tried to hide his sin by manipulating Uriah, but it failed. And he just, when we sin, we have shame, and that means that we just try to, like, cover up and hide everything, but it only makes things worse. We think about in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve, in their beautiful, perfect relationship with God in the garden, they had perfect relationship with the Lord and with one another. But what happened first is when they sinned against God and each other, the first thing that came into their lives was shame. The first thing that they did was hide to isolate themselves, to cover themselves, to distance themselves from God and others because they were ashamed. They sewed fig leaves over themselves to cover themselves so they wouldn't have to face their shame. And it's the same thing with us. We try to cover our sin from other people and from the Lord because we're afraid of being exposed. And that's exactly what David tried to do. You know, and Bathsheba was also affected by David's shame. Bathsheba was certainly affected in this story. And a lot of the times we don't understand how our sin and our shame affects the people around us. Um, But we can see this really displayed in David's story. But there's hope too. We're going to get to that. 
And there's consequences that happened in this story that we could spend a lot of time on, but that's not the heart of this message. The heart is that we're going to get past this real quick. Um, So Bathsheba became pregnant. Uriah was killed with other men of Israel. These are all consequences of David's actions. David disgraced himself, God, and Bathsheba. David and Bathsheba's child finally died eventually. Um, And also, this is really interesting because this is like a turning point. In David's story, he was going like this. He was like rising, being, he was like the it man. He was the king. He was awesome. He was conquered Saul. He did all these things. He was the anointed of the Lord. And then this moment in his life, everything started going downhill. We see it with his children. His children after him were actually a complete disaster. They, like, killed each other. There was sexual abuse in their family that was unaddressed. And David was completely passive for the rest of his life. He just allowed everything to go on. He didn't stop anything. And it all started from this moment. Because he was so ashamed. It comes out of a heart of shame. Um, And this morning, you guys, this is not a message to um, shame anybody, but we're just talking real in the house of God um, because this is a real story. And this is not a story that just happened in the scriptures. This is not just a story that's like has nothing to do with our lives, if that makes any sense. We are seeing the consequences of sexual sin in our lives every day. And I'm just going to read a few statistics here about pornography. And it's from this website called Fight the New Drug. And they do awesome work um, against pornography. But I'm sure you guys have seen and heard in your schools what it is like. It is hard to be a teenager, right? There's so much stuff out there that you are exposed to every day. But here are some statistics um, about pornography. It says 64% of young people ages 13 to 24, so pretty close to you guys, actively seek out pornography weekly or more often. Pornography is a big problem. Also, 35% of all internet downloads are porn-related. It's pretty sobering. We see sexual immorality steeped in our culture. It's not just in the old times, it is now. And we also see that porn is a global estimated $97 billion industry, with about $12 billion of that coming from the U.S. So we see that sin leads to addiction, which leads to bondage to something. So we see this in our lives. I know right now you can think of people at your school or people in your family Or maybe you're even sitting here and you're like, I'm struggling with something. I'm struggling with something that I've never told anybody about. And this message is not to shame you, but this message is to bring you hope because God is a God that doesn't just leave us in our sin. He didn't just leave David in his sin. He walked him through it. He asked him to repent. He asked him to start over. And he asked him to own his stuff. But guess what? He was still a man after God's own heart, and God told him that after this happened. He's still a man after God's own heart, and we are still people after God's own heart, no matter how far we've gone, no matter what sin we're struggling with. So maybe you have a story. Maybe you have a story that you're thinking about, or someone that you know has a story that relates to this. Maybe you've experienced divorce in your family, 
because of some kind of sexual addiction. Maybe you've experienced that from a friend. Maybe your friend has had some brokenness in their life. But an unaddressed, lustful heart is extremely painful and has lasting consequences, and we see that. So keeping all of that in mind, we, I, want, I don't want this message to just be a downer or just telling people the bummer news about the brokenness of humanity because it's real. But we're going to shift now into talking about God's plan for sexual integrity and how that's the best way to live. And it's the pathway to redemption. So one of my favorite verses is Psalm 1835, and it says this. You give me a better way to live, so I live as you want me to. God gives us a better way to live, you guys, that is not like this culture, is not like the world. And he gives us the power to live as he has designed us to. Let's look at the differences between culture and our sin and our shame versus God's way of life and sexuality. We talk about Adam and Eve, so we talked about their shame, but before that, back it up, before that, in Genesis 2, through 25, this is what happened. We see that God creates Adam and Eve, and he created Adam first, but then he does this. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Do you see how different that is from what we just talked about? Do you see how free they are? Do you see God's plan of making Adam and Eve, man and woman, husband and wife, to be fully free and fully loved and absolutely shame-free? Do you feel the, like, tension of David's story and the shame and the hiding and the isolation that happened from that and the consequences? It's just heavy. But do you read this and you see that God's way is a way of freedom, God's way is a way of beauty and absolute shame-free life. That is what God has in plan for you. That is what God's way has in store for us. In um, this book right here, it's called Loveology by John Mark Comer. Have any of you heard of it before? A few. Perfect. Yeah. So it's one of my favorites. Um, Actually, our high school ministry is going through it in a small group format right now. Um, Shameless plug for when you're in high school, you guys should totally do these groups. That's just a side note. Um, But this is a book all about love and marriage and sex and God's design for these things. And John Mark Comer has some awesome things to say about it, but two of my favorite quotes um, are these two. And what he says is the very first commandment in the Bible is to be fruitful and increase in number, which is a little wild in the house of God, right? Because we sometimes think God is not a fun God. But God's first commandment to us is actually to get married and have babies. It's a little weird, right? You're like, my parents didn't have sex to make me promise. (laughs) Like, no. (laughs) Um, But the very first thing God said was to have sex. Isn't that weird? Is that a little uncomfortable? Can you just like, ooh, you know? But that's, that's what God said. Page one of the Bible, people. 
He says be fruitful and increase in number. And the other thing that um, John Mark says that's really awesome is he says that we were sexual before we were sinful. We were sexual before we were sinful. And David just exposes to us that a heart unaddressed leads to, um, leads to a lustful lifestyle. But actually, the desire to be intimate and have a sexual relationship with someone is natural. And it's God-given. And we need to talk about that in church. We need to talk about how God made us sexual creatures, and that is okay. And that is a beautiful thing. Um, sexuality was made before sin. So if you're sitting here thinking that all sexual feelings are bad, that's actually not God's way. God is not a bummer. God is a God of pleasure. He's a God of joy. He's a God of freedom. So also, maybe you don't know this about the Bible. I'm just hopefully blowing your minds here. Um, have any of you heard of the book Song of Solomon? Yes, it's in the Bible. It is an entire book about love, romance, sexuality, all the things between a married couple. And I stumbled upon it when I was little, and I was like, what the heck is this? <laughs> like, this is weird. <laughs> it's one of the books you don't really talk about. It's in the middle of the Bible. But... God put it in there for a reason, and it's specifically to celebrate the joy of sexuality between a husband and a wife, and it shows us that sexuality is made by God between a married couple so that they can experience the true intimacy, the true freedom, and the true wholeness that comes from God's way. Living in God's way is the exact opposite of shame and isolation, and in Song of Solomon 3.5, it says this. Promise me, O women of Jerusalem, by the gazelles and wild deer. So we're going to forget that. But just promise me, women of Jerusalem, not to awaken love until the time is right. And basically what this verse is saying is that it's saying that love and sexuality and romance is a beautiful thing. It's a good thing. It's a God-given thing. But we are not to awaken it until the right time. And David, a lustful heart as David had in this passage, he wanted what was not his, and it was not his time to have that with Bathsheba. But God's way tells us that there is a right time for love, for sexuality, for intimacy, and for romance, and that is okay, and that is good. So my question is, what has God given you in this season and are you grasping for more than what God has given you? And this can apply to sexuality. It can apply to friendships. It can apply to achievements. It can apply to lots of different things. But are you grasping for more than what God has given you? And like we talked about a few weeks ago, the beauty of obeying the no's in God's life, the no's that God has given us in our lives, is that we get the opportunity to develop integrity integrity in the in the big things and in the small things because guess what you guys David didn't just wake up one day and say I'm gonna sleep with somebody else's wife he didn't just wake up and say that it was a bunch of small decisions small choices to not live a life of integrity that led him to where he was and David may have missed that opportunity to follow the Lord but we don't have to each day is a new opportunity to develop integrity in your life and respond well when God tells you no to something. And you see, David's story was not perfect, 
but he was still a man after God's own heart, as we've already talked about. God is always, always, always about redemption and loves hearts that turn to him. Though David and through, okay, look, listen to this craziness. Through David and Bathsheba, through their union, through their marriage, guess who came from them? Jesus. Jesus Christ, the Messiah, came from their line. And if God is not about redemption, I don't think he would have done that. But God is a God of redemption. God uses anyone. God uses everybody's story and everybody's past. And he brings us into a whole future. And not, we're not expected to be perfect. No one is perfect in their journey of sexual integrity, you guys. And maybe you're sitting here and you're like feeling a lot of things. Maybe you're really overwhelmed with this conversation. Maybe you were not expecting this. Maybe you just wanted to take a nap at this time. (laughs) I understand. Um, Or maybe you're like, really, this is hitting home for you because you've been struggling with some things. So there's many, many places that we could be in um, in this moment right now. But everybody's journey and everybody's path of living a life of wholeness and of sexual integrity is actually part of your relationship with the Lord. God loves every part of our lives and he wants to be part of each part, no matter how broken or how confused you feel in it, if that makes sense. God wants to be with you in each moment. And God is always, has always been a God of redemption Because look at how he made us in the garden. Everything he's done since then is actually to bring us back into a garden-like state with him. He made us for face-to-face connection, for face-to-face community. But what shame and isolation does is it turns away and it looks away and it tries to hide. But God is actually this morning, he's calling you back into face-to-face connection with him. So we're just going to take a little bit of time and have some um, private response questions that we've printed out. And I'd love for you to just um, write on these and journal these and think about just how um, these papers are exactly doing that of redemption. These papers, these questions are like turning you from looking away from God to looking at him face to face to looking at face-to-face connection with the the Lord who loves you. He is not going to look at you as you answer these questions with eyes of shame. There is no room for that in a relationship with the Lord. He loves you and he wants to look at you face-to-face in a way that is so loving. He's so delighted in you. He's so proud of you. And what he desires from you is honesty. He just wants you to know that he's with you and for you all the time.